is how it will actually affect you no matter how or where you are watching right now. 13 states have these so-called trigger laws in place for this very circumstance of Roe being overturned, meaning laws that go into effect very quickly now to ban abortion, according to the abortion rights group, the Guttmacher Institute. For example, in Kentucky, Louisiana, and South Dakota, it happens immediately, meaning if you had an appointment this morning at 8 for this procedure, you could go through with it. From here on out, no, you cannot, according to what their law has planned there. Then we move to a second group, the next level, abortion bans to be enforced 30 days after Roe is overturned. That includes Idaho, Texas, and Tennessee. And then come a half dozen states where officials would need to certify their legislation is legally valid before their bans will kick in. That includes North Dakota, Wyoming, Utah, Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Mississippi. Now this could be incredibly quick or it could take maybe a few days according to Guttmacher so they could in effect be immediate or a couple of days. And finally we add in the states that have old unenforced abortion bans which could now be enforced and those that passed bans under Roe which were blocked by courts. All together you get a whopping 26 states certain or likely to ban abortion. And that's compared to just 16 states and D.C. with laws to protect abortion rights, states which even now are preparing for an influx of patients crossing state lines seeking care. And you can imagine what it will be like in Illinois where it's surrounded on all sides with states that, very, that either have already or very quickly will ban abortion. So what is the severity of these bans? What are we looking at here? Missouri has eyes on targeting even non-residents. If you were to pass through and conceive a child, they would continue on that with uh, if you got an abortion elsewhere. So the laws are very severe. Big steps out here that affect every community. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. I hope you found part one of my interview with Rabia Chowdhury illuminating. There's much more to come on Depp versus Heard, and I sense that I'll be sharing my expert analysis in future. Now, some might say there are more important things going on in the world, but what I will say is that this case has had a profound impact on women and on cases happening right now. That's important to me which is why I'm continuing to deconstruct the case, and I really hope the tide is now slowly turning. Many celebrities were quick to support Depp based on rumour and conjecture alone, and some of them have now withdrawn their likes. Well, how about speaking publicly about why and how you got this case wrong? Show support and solidarity for Amber Heard. Of course we're humans, and sometimes we make mistakes, and it's what happens afterwards that matters. Speaking out matters. And like I said, there's much more I can say about the case, and I'm sure I will talk about it again in the future with other experts. But for now, I want to pivot to the second part of my discussion with Rabia. I really wanted to get Rabia's perspective on Roe versus Wade being overturned. You know, I still can't get my head around this happening, and it's so instructive that it's men trying to push through ill-thought-through trigger laws, and also that there are those on social media and in real life who think that this is not such a big deal. Well, it is. It's a fundamental human right to get reproductive health care, and over half the population have been stripped of those rights. That's not okay. 
It's not for a state lawmaker, mainly men, to take away women's right to choose, as if we're incapable of making decisions in our own best interest. Abortion is now illegal or heavily restricted in at least 14 states, following the Supreme Court's historic decision in June to overturn Roe v. Wade. And at least nine other states have laws in place that pave the way to quickly ban or severely restrict access to abortion. And anyone violating the law could be subject to civil penalties, criminal fines and imprisonment. In fact, in some states, the penalty for abortion is longer than it is for rape. That should tell you everything you need to know. Also, and importantly, years of studies show that femicide is a top cause of maternal death in the United States. Being with an abusive man increases the risk of femicide if you're pregnant. It's a high risk factor for women and girls, and we should not be forcing motherhood on women and girls. And black women in the United States who are pregnant or were recently pregnant have up to a nearly threefold higher risk of dying by femicide than those who are not pregnant, the highest increase reported among any racial or ethnic group. This should alarm everyone. We're already seeing an extremely concerning impact regarding healthcare for women. Doctors and nurses are fearful of being viewed as aiding and abetting, and many healthcare providers are conflicted. In other words, there's now a fear culture. Many may well leave those red states, leaving the worst doctors there. There are huge implications for women and medicine. Allowing male politicians and fear to decide healthcare for women is so dangerous and the impact is and will be irreparable. Now, just before I get to the interview with Rabia, I want to share with you some examples of what's going on. In Texas, the Texas Medical Association has asked the regulator to step in after several hospitals prevented doctors from treating patients with serious pregnancy complications for fear of violating the state's abortion ban. One hospital told a doctor not to treat an ectopic pregnancy until it ruptured. Another woman in Texas is now on a ventilator after being forced to carry a dead fetus following a miscarriage, leading to a deadly infection. This is just utterly barbaric and, of course, against what doctors join the profession to do. And then what about girls and women who've been abused? What about those who've been raped? What about their rights? The horrific case of a 10-year-old Ohio girl was recently in the news because she travelled to Indiana for an abortion after she was raped. The abortion provider in that case was Dr. Caitlin Bernard. She did all the right things and filed all the necessary forms. Initially, the veracity of the story was doubted. Well, of course it would be because women are not believed for crying out loud. And in reality, most have no idea what really goes on and how this impacts the most vulnerable. And in this case, now the doctor is the one being investigated. Take a listen to this. An Ohio man is being charged with the rape of a 10-year-old girl who needed to travel out of state to Indiana for an abortion. The case drew national attention. It also drew a lot of scrutiny in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. CNN's Gene Casares is joining us now. Uh, Gene, this is sort of a twist because there were many people, uh, namely Republicans, who had cast doubt on whether this even existed, whether this girl even existed, and yet here we are, charges now being filed. It, it is a tragic, amazing story. Here are the facts. 
That man, according to police and court documents, is 27-year-old Garrison Fuentes. According to Franklin County Municipal Court, Fuentes is charged with felony rape of a minor under the age of 13 years old. He's being held on $2 million bond. He is charged with raping a 10-year-old girl who became pregnant. Now, police were alerted to the case because of a referral made to the Franklin County, Ohio, Children's Services by her mother. Columbus Police Detective Jeffrey Hoon testified Wednesday at Fuente's arraignment that the girl underwent a medical abortion in Indianapolis on June 30th. The procedure is banned in Ohio after six weeks of pregnancy, and OBGYN in Indianapolis told CNN that she did help a 10-year-old girl from Ohio who was six weeks and three days pregnant have the procedure. Um, thank you for laying out the facts of this case as we know them, Gene. As Brianna mentioned, there were some who were raising questions about whether this even happened. What are these people who are raising that out saying now the charges have been filed? You know, I looked on social media and many people just found this unbelievable. And I think it's a lesson for all of us. You know, a number of conservatives threw doubt on the story and Jim Jordan actually called it a lie. He deleted that tweet. Um, there's also an aspect that um, that the attorney general of Ohio, Dave Yost, told Fox News early on on Monday. So early on, we're on Thursday now. But he said that there was not a whisper that the crime had occurred, going so far as to claim that there had been no request for any DNA analysis on a rape kit matching such a case. Now, there's always two sides to a story. Is there another side? CNN is looking into it. Again, the mother of the girl reported the rape last month to Franklin County Children's Services Agency, which referred a complaint to police. And we also now know from testimony in that arraignment that DNA has been collected. It's being tested to make a confirmation. You got to do that for a criminal case, right? And Yost released the following statement on Wednesday, but did not offer an apology for casting doubt over the case. He wrote, quote, my heart aches for the pain suffered by this young child. I am grateful for the diligent work of the Columbus Police Department in securing a confession and getting a rapist off the street. So in this case, a 27-year-old man has now been arrested for the rape. This is utterly horrific. And what about the consequences for men? This 10-year-old was traumatised multiple times over, first by the rapist and then by the system. A system that should be there to protect her and her rights. She's a child She's done nothing wrong. How can that be right? And in Indiana, the governor signed the first post-row abortion ban, with limited exceptions, on Friday the 5th of August. Beyond limited exceptions, the new law will end legal abortion in Indiana next month. In Kansas, another conservative Midwestern state, Voters overwhelmingly rejected an amendment that would have stripped abortion rights protections from their state constitution. Thank goodness people came out and voted. The people have spoken, and that's in a red state. On the 2nd of August, the United States of America Justice Department sued Idaho over a near-total abortion ban coming in on the 25th of August. The lawsuit is President Biden administration's first legal action since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Take a listen to this. Today, the Justice Department filed a lawsuit against the state of Idaho. The suit seeks to hold invalid the state's criminal prohibition on providing abortions as applied to women who are suffering medical emergencies. 
under a federal law known as the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, or EMTALA, every hospital that receives Medicare funds must provide necessary stabilizing treatment to a patient who arrives at an emergency room suffering from a medical condition that could place their life or health in serious jeopardy. In some circumstances, the medical treatment necessary to stabilize the patient's condition is abortion. This may be the case, for example, when a woman is undergoing a miscarriage that threatens septic infection or hemorrhage or is suffering from severe preeclampsia. When a hospital determines that an abortion is the medical treatment necessary to stabilize a patient's emergency medical condition, it is required by federal law to provide that treatment. As detailed in our complaint, Idaho's law would make it a criminal offense for doctors to provide the emergency medical treatment that federal law requires. Although the Idaho law provides an exception to prevent the death of a pregnant woman, it includes no exception for cases in which the abortion is necessary to prevent serious jeopardy to the woman's health. Moreover, it would subject doctors to arrest and criminal prosecution even if they performed an abortion to save a woman's life, and it would then place the burden on the doctors to prove that they are not criminally liable. The United States therefore seeks a declaratory judgment that Idaho's law violates the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution and is preempted by federal law to the extent it is in conflict with EMTALA. The United States also seeks an injunction prohibiting Idaho from enforcing its law against healthcare providers who provide the emergency treatment required by EMTALA. The Justice Department has since asked a federal judge to pause the Idaho abortion ban. As it stands, this trigger law will come into effect on the 25th of August 2022. The law will criminalise abortions and anyone who performs, attempts or assists abortion will face two to five years in prison and lose their health care licence. Physicians who do so to save a patient's life or in a case of rape or incest can use that information as a legal defence during a criminal trial. Justice Department Attorney Lisa Newman wrote in court documents filed on the 9th of August 2022, even in cases where termination of the pregnancy is necessary to prevent the patient's death, the Idaho law requires a physician to risk arrest and prosecution for each abortion performed because the law affords only an affirmative defence that the physician must prove at trial. By threatening physicians with criminal prosecution, even when they provide treatment in emergency life-threatening situations as federal law requires, Idaho's law penalises and discourages such treatment and thereby conflicts directly with federal law. This, to me, is just utterly insane. Women, girls and doctors and healthcare workers will be put in impossible situations. And this complex legal manoeuvring is now playing out all over the red states in the United States of America. What an utter mess. The government is now having to sue individual states so that women don't die. Many, many women. OK, with that having been said, and to give you some context of what's going on on the ground, buckle up and listen to what Rabia and I had to say about it. 
Let's talk makeup for a moment. What's your daily makeup routine? Are you an out of the door with a messy bun, a mascara vibe? Or are you coiffed to the max? Or maybe you're somewhere in between like me. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty free. Made with clean skin loving ingredients, high performance and trademark formulas and uncompromising standards. Thrive Cosmetics bigger than beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are emerging from homelessness. It's a beauty brand and a philosophy that goes beyond skin deep by empowering women. Did you know the first product they launched were false eyelashes, which was motivated by the fact that cancer patients lose their eyelashes? How amazing is that? I love their new sheer strength lip plumping peptide gloss. It gives you a visibly fuller looking, luscious lips without fillers or uncomfortable stinging sensations. It's also ultra hydrating and there are 10 shades to choose from which enhance your natural lips, six shines and four shimmers. Support and empower women and treat yourself or a loved one. Thrive Cosmetics is a luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crime analyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crime analyst for 20% off your first order. I want to tell you about my sponsor, Factor. Factor makes healthy eating easy. And health and fitness starts with good food. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Fuel up fast with Factors, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. I've had the chicken parmesan and the turkey chili and zucchini, and they're delicious and I highly recommend them. Factor is flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Now, they've done the maths, and Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 and use code crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. That's code crimeanalyst50 at factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. I wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned and whether you thought that would ever happen and what you think, you know, the repercussions are. I mean, my entire life we have had Roe v. Wade. I mean, like, it's been a precedent. Like, my entire life growing up in this country and the idea that my daughters will not have the same protections that I did to their reproductive rights, it's still kind of sinking in. I just said to somebody the other day, I I really believe the greatest threat to this country right now is the Supreme Court because the way they're making decisions, it's like they're going to break us up into 
like two different countries. There are going to be states where it's safe for women and states where it's not. And the states where it's safe for women, if the, if a woman from one state goes to another, she can be prosecuted for that. I mean, some people might think, okay, but it's safe in, in one state for a woman to like, you know, get access to abortion. Actually, it's not true. I mean, like when you have when you have politicians making the case that abortion is murder, which is basically what they're saying, they're like, these are this is an actual life and abortion is murder, then it's not much further a step to say, now we can charge that murder. In fact, in Louisiana, there was a, a bill had been proposed, and I think they got rid of it, but that they could charge for murder. And Louisiana is a death penalty state. So like, what is the end of this? What about the providers? What about people who nurse the woman during or afterwards. I mean, like, you know, like we've lived through the aftermath of 9-11 when material support was, if you provide any material support to terrorists, which could be something as like innocuous as I gave somebody a ride, I didn't know where he was going. You know, like that could be prosecuted and it was prosecuted. I think it's terrifying. I also think it's not representative of the people. It's not representative of what Americans want. I, I don't. I refuse to believe that even among conservatives. I really feel like we're just being held hostage now by a really a small group of extremists, um, ideological extremists. And I think a lot of women are going to get very, very hurt. Women are going to die. I think about so many victims of rape. I mean, the fact that you've got lawmakers just having no shame, no second thoughts about saying publicly, saying in the middle of hearings, I don't think there should be an exception for the 10-year-old girl who got pregnant from a rape. There are lawmakers who say, to this day, you cannot get pregnant if you've been raped. Yeah, it's really troubling. I mean, it's it's more than troubling. It's terrifying. It's it's terrifying. I said scarifying. That's a good new word. And I think it's a signal for so much else that's going to go that's going to get undone in this country. A lot of the progress we've seen in the last 20, 25 years is going to get undone. Scarifying. I think that's probably the right word. I didn't yeah. think that this would happen, I must admit. Never. I- really didn't yeah. think that it possibly could in 2022. Yeah. Uh, we're fighting still for women's rights, but effectively making women second-class citizens and saying that a third party should decide for that woman just right. is insane to yeah. me. Yeah, I just can't get my head around it. In all the conversations around like the criminality of this, there's never the role of like the man involved in the pregnancy right. never comes up. You know? Yeah, where 100% um, of unwanted pregnancies are caused yeah. by men and there's zero repercussions for men. So right. why is it all on women? And, you know, I'm a Muslim by, by faith and tradition and upbringing. And um, this is actually goes against my religion because, and, you know, there there is a Jewish group that's sued, I think, in the state of Florida because under Jewish and Muslim law, there are plenty of exceptions to, I mean, like abortion is not prohibited up until like 120 days in the pregnancy, abortion is permitted at any time in the pregnancy. If the woman's, if the mother's life is in danger, abortion is permitted. Like the woman's life always takes precedent in case of rape and incest. Like you can have access to it. So to me, the idea that like Muslim women around the world have more protection and access than like American women is, I never thought I'd see the day. I didn't. And we know that it's people without means, without finance, who are going to be hit the hardest. Because women with means, I think something like 23% of the abortions in the UK were done on American women, i.e. they could travel. I was going to say, they're going right? to fly to Europe and get what they need done, or Mexico or wherever, yeah. Yeah. And then where do we go from there? Then you start tagging women so that they can't travel if you yeah. suspect they're pregnant, or you do pregnancy tests at the airport. Or I just can't see how it will move in a way that is not breaching every human right of a woman. 
Yeah, there's no bottom here. If the end is to, to make sure every pregnancy results in, you know, a birth, then I really believe that there's a group of people in this country that will employ every means to make sure that happens. But many women can't carry to full term though, right? That medical reasons or, or age and therefore not every pregnancy is viable. But if they're not seeing it as a healthcare issue, would it it which it is right then women will die or there'd be unsafe abortions as well it's just terrifying to me because women have also i posted some things this morning and a number of women contacted me saying well it's murder murder of children i can't believe that you're saying this and women are using abortion as um contraception and i just thought wow that has been coming from oh no that's been a false talking point like for propaganda for decades right i mean no nobody does that who does that are you kidding me no woman that i know yeah no but that tells me the brainwashing is very uh systemic for other women to basically say that a woman shouldn't have a right to make a decision and that it's okay for someone else to make a decision about her body that's just even more terrifying to me that women are buying into it which we know that they do but the they one do. thing oh, yeah. we must have is autonomy and sovereignty to make our own decisions about what happens to us. And I think the irony is, particularly where this is happening in Texas, with Uvalde, the report coming yeah. out, 19 children, two teachers were killed, and law enforcement, almost 400 of them, were sat or stood outside the unlocked door and did nothing. And yet there you've got lives that are not being protected either. So the whole argument about how precious children are just doesn't ring true when we see firearms being prioritised over women and children and our rights and our life. And that's what makes me angry, that the firearm laws seem to be protected whilst women and children are not. Laura, it's all disingenuous. That's the thing, you know, whenever you have laws that are not part of like kind of a holistic system, that means they're arbitrary and ideological and there's there's an agenda behind that that's really not about like the holistic betterment of society when you're not providing child care you're not providing maternity and paternity leave you're not providing health care you don't like welfare queens you want to get rid of food stamps for children and WIC programs for women and infants you don't care about children right like that's what that means you don't care about families this is all bullshit I mean, it's just weird to me because, you know, I, like, again, I come, I'm from Pakistan, I come from a Muslim family, and I am connected to a lot of Muslim communities, some very conservative ones, in fact, even in this country. And I have never even heard this topic debated. So, and, you know, it really does germinate. I mean, I'm going to be honest, it germinates like it's very right-wing evangelical philosophy about where life and God and heaven and hell. And that's where this... Like, we don't have these conversations amongst Muslims. I have never once heard this conversation. Like, people are like, it's, that's a healthcare issue. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a healthcare issue. But that all of us have to be held hostage to the beliefs of, like, this one community. You know, to me, it just, it's not at all about, like, there's no holistic approach. You, you cannot prove to me that those people who, who want to ban all abortions, no matter what the circumstances, how egregious, that they actually care about, that they are pro-life in any way, shape, or form beyond that. They just aren't. It's bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> No, I'm glad you've given the uh, the legal advice on it, that it's bullshit, because I completely agree. It's all power and control, and that's what makes me angry, particularly here in the wake of all these mass shootings and where actually everyone's attention should be on very important critical issues for legislation of trying to increase safety in schools and for women and children not trying to 
take away autonomy and reproductive rights from women. And as you said, there's a signal now of where they're moving to, of gay rights, and it, and it will continue. Oh, yeah, of course. Which yeah. is frightening, I think. Yeah. What do you yeah. think will happen next, Rabia, in, in terms of your legal knowledge and experience? Do you think Biden will step in and make things more clear in terms of whether money will be taken away from certain states or is there anything legislatively he can do in, in this situation? I have said this before. I'm going to say it one more time in this show. The root of the problem is the Supreme Court. We need to expand the courts. That can be done through a congressional act. Biden doesn't have to be involved with that at all. That's a power the Democrats have that they're not utilizing, and I don't understand why. I mean, I feel like we just show up at knife fights with, like, plastic forks. I, I don't know what right. we're doing. We are not going as, you know, we should be using every weapon in our arsenal at this point. Everything we can do, constitutional amendments, whatever, like, all of it. Throw it all against this, because this is... This is um, a real tipping point, I think, because absolutely marriage equality, I mean, God, even desegregation, if you're going to make everything a state's rights issue, except for things like gun safety, right? Like everything is a state's rights issue, then we're just going to turn, we're turning into the Wild West where it's going to be like lots of different little countries and fiefdoms and it'll be a state by state fight, right? Like I know in Maryland, for example, they're trying to pass some constitutional uh, language to, to protect Although the couple of candidates who wanted that lost in the primary last night, so that might not happen, the gubernatorial candidates. But yeah, it'll be a state-by-state fight. And look, women have fought this battle before, and they won the battle before. It can happen again, but not with the Supreme Court. It can't happen. At the end of the day, every legal fight will end there. Everything will end there at that Supreme Court. So we have to change the Supreme Court change the Supreme Court, so expand it to what, 13? 13, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. We have 13 federal jurisdiction. It's time, yeah. It makes sense. And I think, you know, women do have to vote as well, don't they? I, I think sometimes there can be apathy, but you have to vote with your ex on things that really matter. And I think I these mean, things are important for people to have a voice on and say, but you know, mothers unite. People do vote. The thing is, like, in greater and greater numbers on these issues, you know, people are coming out and voting. But what's happening is then you're getting gerrymandered and then they're being, their votes are being disenfranchised. And, like, even when people are trying to vote or actually cast their votes, the votes are not counting for as much, right? Like, so you have areas in which the votes of a small rural population have the same, with, like, 3,000 people have the same weight as the votes of 300,000 people in urban areas. That's not democracy. Like, that's not democracy. So... It, there's so much that needs, and again, even on those issues, you know, like it ends up in the Supreme Court. They're the ones who decide. But the Supreme Court has been weaponized now. And so, you know, it's, I don't know how to save it at this point, frankly. Well, as you said, it could be that it, that it is expanded. You know, in the UK, people vote with their ex or they march. There's a lot of marches that women do. But here I feel that that is even curtailed, isn't it, of women being able to mobilise and, and march because there's much more of a, just seeing one of the marches in LA, LAPD, who were physically throwing women down on the ground. I mean, it was quite, oh, yeah. quite frightening in terms of the police response. We're in this era now where the marches, I don't care if there's millions of people who show up, they don't result in the political pressure that they should because we're in an era where politicians cannot be shamed into doing the right thing. They can be caught with their pants down. They can be caught in the middle of all kinds of scandals that ordinarily 30 years ago, 20 years ago, would have ended their careers. And it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. They can send police out, National Guard out, to shoot protesters exercising the First Amendment right. 
it will not end their career. I just feel like we're, I don't know what to call this era, the post-shame era. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. But there's definitely, there's been a big shift. You know, there used to be a time when if enough people showed up, like local leaders would be like, this is not looking good. Like we have to give in to demands. They don't care anymore. They don't. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, looking at Ted Cruz's behavior in Texas and Abbott, uh, where they didn't attend any of the children's funerals, they didn't reach out to the family. Ted Cruz was actually, I was in Texas at the time when Rob Elementary was under siege. And I just found it staggering looking at his Twitter feed saying yeah, yeah. thoughts and prayers. And I saw someone had copy and pasted every time that he said that thoughts and prayers and then started saying things like, well, we need teachers to be armed and we need more guns. And of course, now we've all seen the footage that there were many, many officers there within minutes with yeah. guns. And that yeah. didn't stop the problem. More You've guns got like does not six solve dozen good problem. guys with guns, right? Exactly. Yeah. And a teenager yeah. with an AR-15. To the rest of the world, and probably to most of America, most people can see what the problem is, the teenager with the AR-15. And yet you've got politicians talking about taking outdoors in schools and arming teachers when law enforcement don't even want to go in and respond because they're fearful of a teenager yeah. with an AR-15, but they're not going to stop the teenager from getting the AR-15. Yeah. It's just such nonsense. Yeah. It's frightening. I, it's, I, America's a weird country. <laughs> I mean, look, what you're saying about in other countries, like my relatives back home are like, what is it? Like, why, why does everybody need a gun? Like, why, why is there so much passion around like this thing? And I said, I don't know, it's a really strong gun culture. That doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. There's no reason for it to exist anywhere else in the world. And people are perfectly safe. My relatives back in Pakistan really think that we're having gunfights on every corner in America because that's what they see in the news. It's constant gun violence. And they think they're much safer um, than we are. And in many ways, they are because they have never really have to worry about sending their kids to school or going to a mall or going to a movie theater and somebody showing up with a, an armed person showing up in a mass shooting. It just doesn't happen there. It doesn't no. happen. It doesn't yeah. in the UK, and that's why I have to yeah. seriously consider where Rafi goes to school. A school yeah. should be a place of safety. I mean, yeah. there's no two ways about it. And just as my son already had an active shooter at his um, at his Montessori last year. Oh my god! Yeah, he didn't get in the building. He was out in the lawn, and he was probably about 200 yards away from where the kids were in lockdown. But it was like you know, 13 little four and five year olds, and thankfully nobody was hurt. But that how is do you just prevent terrifying? Them? That really is. But that's the reality of, you know, school children having to do drills and that it's in their lives and it, it needn't be. That's the thing. If the right decisions were being made politically and the right people were in power, I mean, my view is we need more women in those seats. And until you get women who are mothers and who have empathy and due regard to other people, then things won't change either. And I, I feel that most men don't understand the realities facing women and children because they're so concerned with their own purview and their own perspective. And that's why they talk more than they listen and they don't represent women. 
And until we have women being represented by women, is it going to change? Look, I definitely think we have given men long enough to figure this shit out and they haven't. <laughs> by and go. large. Like they've had close. thousands thousands of years. Like, you know, maybe maybe I don't know, you know, it's interesting. I, I just wonder if I'm like if we will ever live to see like the first female president of America. I it's so shocking to me because there have been female presidents, prime ministers of Pakistan, of Bangladesh, of all these countries in the world. And in America it seems like well, you talk about when you ask what I thought Biden would do, here's what I think Biden should do. What I think Biden should do is step down his, after his third year in office or sometime during his third year. And so that he's responsible for the very first woman to ever become president in this country, becoming president and then making her a strong incumbent. He cannot run again. It's clear this man cannot run again. And without any kind of experience, Kamala doesn't have, she doesn't have a good chance if she's running. Right. So then who do we have? Right. So I really think, I really hope that his, that that's what they're thinking is like, he'll step down, let her, let her spend a year being president of the United States before she runs as an incumbent. But, you know, I, I don't know what else Biden's going to do. I think he has, I think he's very much wedded philosophically. And I think he's a good man. I think he's a good, decent man who believes in the goodness of people in bipartisanship. But I think people like him keep talking about bipartisanship without seeing like what's really actually happening. Like that we can't operate in that when, when the other party's not operating in good faith. Absolutely. I believe that it is time for America to have a female president long overdue. Yeah. And I hope she is yeah. being mentored for that role, as as uh, you say. And I genuinely feel that until we have women in power, things won't change. Our, our experiences are unique and that's why it is important. And we're mothers and we care about other people. Therefore, we don't make decisions just based on our own self-interest. And unfortunately, that's what we tend to see with most men who are in power. And it's, as you say, they've had long enough to sort this shit out and yeah. haven't managed to do it. And I'm sure we're put the world to rights at, at another time as well, because I'm conscious of your time and want to be <laughs> respectful to your time as you squeezed me in for this interview. Is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to make mention of? No, not really. I mean, like, I know these these two issues are really pressing on your mind, and I think it's good for women like us to talk about it and signal for other women that it's important that, I, that they also, like, you know, have these conversations. And if they aren't concerned, they should be concerned. But also, it feels like a really overwhelming time right now to be a woman in this country, doesn't it? It feels like I there's agree. a lot coming at us. Yeah, it's a lot coming at us. I just want to remind women, we have fought a lot of these battles before. Marriage equality happened during our adult lives, you know, and we can lose it, but we can gain it back too. And if anything, that's, people talk about, I'm going to leave America. I'm going to move out. I mean, we shouldn't. People who have been treated much, much worse didn't leave. They stayed, they put down their, you know, roots and buckets here and, and they built lives. And so that's a lot to take in. I don't have anything else to add other than like, I do have a book coming out and this is something that's completely completely unrelated to anything we've talked about really, or even any of the work that I do professionally. It's called Fatty Fatty Boom Boom. And it's a memoir about um, food, fat, and family. And that will resonate with a lot of women because a lot of us have body image issues and um, a lot of unfair expectations from society about what we should look like and what we should be like. And we also love food. And so, you know, if, if people are interested in those topics, they should check it out. It's it's available for, for pre-order right now. Yeah, so check out... Rabia's book and podcasts. And I'm glad that you said that actually, just how overwhelming things have been because they have been. And I think sometimes we don't acknowledge that all these things coming at us, but there are things that we can do to help ourselves of self-care. And sometimes it's reading and digesting other things that give us a different perspective or, 
you know, making light of things that are just such a heavy time. But we can make real change. And the more we articulate and we have these conversations, I think it empowers and, and validates actually people's feelings who might be feeling very alone and very overwhelmed. I know I felt like that. And I've listen, had to up my self-care every day. Um, at the end of the day. Because there's just so much coming at us every day. At the end of the day, we are the women who are raising the next generation of men too. So my son, your son, look at your sons, ladies, <laughs> look at your sons and, and you have the power to decide what this next generation of men can be like and who they can be. And that's really important because before you know it, there'll be adults in charge making decisions as well. Absolutely. And as I always say to my, to my partner, it's what we do, not necessarily what we say. 100%. Little kids model what you're doing, don't they? Yeah. And they pick yeah. up on everything. So yes, the yeah. next generation is so important. What world do we want for them? And I want Rafi to be a future leader, but I want him to have empathy and I want him to understand other people's perspectives and caretake for other people and not just have, have his own self-interest as number one. And it's a huge responsibility for us, isn't it? But mums are amazing. And yes, there are some great dads out there too, but I see you as a, a mum and an advocate and a fierce warrior doing what you do. So I want to thank you for what you do and oh, thank you, Laura. thank you, you as for well. talking to me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's go, both go decompress after this very heavy talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rabia. You're amazing. All right. You take care, Laura. Listeners, go check out Rabia's work. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter and check out her book. So thank you very much. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Laura. Be well. I'm jumping in here to wrap this two-part discussion. And I'm glad to get some of that off my chest with Rabia. And she felt the same way. It was a bit like therapy, and we wanted to share the conversation. She's a calming presence, isn't she? You know, we women are more powerful and more resourceful than we often get credit for, and we're almost always underestimated. Women must have bodily autonomy. We're not possessions, nor are we second-class citizens. We birth babies, we run homes, we run businesses, we raise children— and most often, we're the social heartbeat of a family. Women matter. We're not just a carrier for babies. We're humans in our own right. It's crazy to have to say this out loud. And as women, we endure so much. And many of us have survived so much too. The coercive control by men has been insane. And now it seems to have been amped up even more. But I agree with Rabia. We will prevail. We will win this together. And that sounds like a rallying cry, doesn't it? And I guess it is. I know so many of you feel overwhelmed, and I too have upped my self-care, so please do the same. Take some time for you, but also connect with others, talk to each other, support each other, empower each other, share these messages on social media, share these episodes, take action, use your voice. Use your ex. Together, we're the majority, raising the next generation. The power is in fact in our hands, in our feet, and in our voices. Until next time, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instinct.
Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Robottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.